Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and uh, around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. Hello and good morning to you, my friends. Hello. Uh, Tuesday, just another beautiful day in paradise. The sunlight is creeping out and uh, feeling pretty good about it. Uh, my daughter found her shoe last night uh it's been missing for two months it was out in the lawn it was, she chased the dog one night and lost her shoe and then could not find it and lo and behold there it was that's the kind of stuff you find in spring around here in alaska that's where it's just just kind of pops up out of the out of the stuff it was uh <laughs> she's like oh there it is i see it now uh anyway uh it's uh it's tuesday and uh that means a couple things first and foremost it means that uh tuesday is the day we're going to be jumping into it with brad keithley from alaskans for sustainable budgets who comes on board to share with us uh the weekly top three that is the top three items that uh the top three items that uh, he believes are important for us to pay attention to and be watching out for, that's uh, that's going to be today's uh, topic. So we got uh, today's topics include, <clears throat> and I quote, uh, uh, today's three topics uh, are Dunleavy's talk of balance. Uh, what is the true goal of the top 20%? And that's really to make government grow. And more, and then the critical question about oil taxes that no one is asking yet. And we'll be talking with Brad about that here in just a few moments, as we pick things up with him at the uh, at the first after the first break mark here this morning. Uh, we'll be talking with him, and then uh, in hour two, <clears throat> we'll be getting our betterment section done. That is our weekly PMA and life coaching lesson from our friend Chris Story, the man from. Homer, who comes on board to chat with us uh, about, uh, uh, again, positive things, uh, getting your mind right, all the other things that we've got going on. It is, uh, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's been a good week so far. Um, you know, I hate to, I hate to, uh, to, uh, to get too far ahead of myself, but I'm feeling like May may be the turnaround. Maybe I just needed a little, uh, because 2023 has been a little rough uh, for many folks um, uh, in my circle of influence and and beyond. Uh, and I'm hoping that the 1st of May marks a turnaround for a little bit more positive year this far. So we'll, well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a hope anyway, right? That's, that's the, uh, that's the, the mantra that I'm working under right now. Um, all right, so we got a few headlines that we're going to get into here and see what's going on. We'll also talk about some of the, um, well, I guess I could run through real quick because here we are, day 15 
right? Day 15 of the, um, uh, on the countdown, 15 days left of the potential session. That's all we've got going on right now. Uh, so what are we going to be looking at today in the legislature? Um, <clears throat> public testimony opportunities today. Well, today's pretty busy, um, but it all starts this afternoon at uh, 1 p.m. in the uh, House Military and Veterans Affairs Committee. HB 158 is going to be heard. It's a bill about the military and the Space Force. Uh, and then at 1.30 in House Finance, Kevin McCabe's HB 3 bill, the gold and silver specie as legal tender bill, is going to be up for public testimony. Uh, same time in House Finance in that same hearing, Citizens Advisory Committee on Federal Areas, HB 83, will be heard. Uh, at 1.30, again the same time, in, tra in Senate Transportation, there's a bill related to taxation on uh, rental vehicles, SB 127, which again, I don't know anything about that one. Um, <clears throat> the House State Affairs has got the HB4 at 3 p.m., and that's the repeal the ranked choice voting open primary bill, uh, which, uh, fingers crossed, that actually goes somewhere. I guess we'll see what happens with that. Uh, at 3.30 in Senate uh, Health and Social Services is HB60, which is a bill about runaways, uh, Department of Health duties, licensing and info. Uh, at 3.30 in State Senate Affairs is uh, uh, elections and voter registration campaigns, as well as licensing pla license plates and specialty organizations. This is about new license plates for specialty orgs or some of those custom license plates for entities. Uh, and then at uh, they're also going to be dealing with electric-assisted bikes, HB8. Electric assisted, I mean, hey, okay. And then they're also going to uh, be talking about SB 61, which is the U.S. president election, the presidential election, and dealing with a popular vote compact, which, uh, from what I understand, and I, I, I've heard a few things about this bill, it's a little troubling to me. Uh, there's been a big push across the country to do away with the electoral college. And they want to elect president by popular vote versus the Electoral College, which is a huge mistake. We've actually talked about this here on the program. Um, the founders were pretty smart. Um, and the Electoral College is a buffer against mob rule. That's what it is. It's fractional, you know, it's it's fractional representation so that it allows that areas in the rural sides of the communities are not overwhelmed by the big mega, you know, metropolis cores of these big major cities. You get these red states with a blue capital and it's a problem, right? That's what the that's what majority rule and what the popular vote thing is all about. They put the uh, they put the uh, electoral college in for a reason and it is to protect the rights of uh, some of the lower population areas in the states, but uh, <clears throat> they don't like that. They don't like that at all. So there's been some discussion on uh, what, uh, on you know how to how to fix that and what to change. Um, it is an act relating to an interstate compact to elect president and vice president of the U.S. by national popular vote, and relating to the section of electors for candidates and duties of those electors. So this is from Will Akowski and L.V. Gray Jackson. And, uh, yeah, it's a, 
it's a problem. It is a problem. Um, if you want, uh, if you want all your major metropolitan cities to be the ones that basically elect the president uh, and the vice president, uh, then this is the one for you. If that's all you want is the major urban areas to basically overrun the rural areas. This is a bill that you want to be voting for. I, for one, not a fan, not a fan of this bill, but it's going to be up for, uh, again, discussion and public testimony uh, today uh, in um, House State, uh, excuse me, Senate State Affairs Committee at 3.30 p.m. So those are your opportunities for discussion today. Well, yesterday, the Alaska Senate approved a new formula for the PFD, and you knew it was coming. You knew it was going to happen, and they're making it the 75-25. So the government gets 75% with only 25% for the PFD, and Lyman Hoffman had the audacity to call this a fiscal plan. This is, this is a fiscal plan. <laughs> Shelley Hughes said, um, a PFD cut is not a fiscal plan. Uh, you know, it, this is not the whole, this is not the whole. Interestingly enough, according to some of my well-placed sources inside the legislature, yes, I have well-placed sources inside the, um, it's noted, <clears throat> although I, I see that the ADN really didn't make any mention of it, but both the Alaska Beacon and Must Read Alaska said, uh, Scott Kawasaki was absent, but according to my sources, he was in the building. He just did not want to take, he did not want to go on record for this. I mean, that's what this is all about. He did not want to go on record for this bill. He was in the building, but excused from the vote, which, come on, man, seriously. I mean, you're supposed to be a stalwart champion of the dividend and you didn't want to, you didn't want to, and and I think this is much ado about nothing, quite honestly, at this point, because first of all, it has to go to the House, where pretty much everybody has already said this is a non-starter for them, um, and the Senate majority, the Biden Caucus majority, allowed their members to split on this. Um, it was a twelve to seven vote, twelve to seven vote. Uh, uh, Kawasaki was absent; that left nineteen votes. So you had the three in the minority, right? Uh, and then Bill Willikowski, Matt Clayman, Forrest Dunbar, and David Wilson all voted against the, which, <laughs> that's just like a marriage made in hell right there. Uh, surprisingly enough, or I guess unsurprisingly, if you've been kind of following the debate around the PFD, George Rauscher, uh, the Republican from Anchorage, voted for it. I mean, which... You know, he represents a fairly well-to-do area, a top 20% area for sure, and apparently is all okay with uh, with taking that money. I don't understand it personally. I just I can't wrap my brain around it, but there it is. Of course, the rest of the Democrats, as well as Burt Stedman, Click Bishop, Gary Stevens uh, as well, all voted in favor of it um, as well, because that's the only thing that they know how to do, spend Spend, spend. They just can't pot. Oh, and Kathy Geisel. Kathy Geisel's the other Republican. And I air quotes Republican. So, yo, if this uh, if this thing went into effect, you would uh, get thirteen hundred dollar dividend, and it would go. Oh, you don't worry. You could get a fifty fifty dividend. 
you would just have to be able to figure out how to collect $1.3 billion in reoccurring additional revenue by 2030. <laughs> by, 20 th- by 2030. Oh, and you'd have to put $3.5 billion into the CBR. Just, just those things. Just, just, just those two things. No big deal. No big deal. Shelly Hughes, Shelly Hughes said, uh, this is like what she said, this is like building a road into, a." she said, what is it? She said, picture a road going right into a mountain, like into this edge of a mountainside. Uh, Envision a road running right into a mountain. That's how I see this bill. The mountain is the unattainable revenue. I mean, just, you know, just picture a road. And I'm like, well, why not just picture the thing that I've always talked about? The bridge is out. Here it is. And they're like, hold my beer. You ain't going to believe this. And they just keep shoveling coal into the box. The bridge is out. But we'll we'll jump that gap, right? No big deal. So, I mean, here it is. But then it's got to go over to the house. And, uh, again, it's a non-starter over there. I don't know what's going to happen. I guarantee you, special sessions on the horizon, baby. I just, I don't see a way to, I just don't see a way for them to overcome this at this point in 15 days. I mean, it takes 10 days at least for the conference committee bill. So we'll, we'll see what happens here, but, uh, we'll get Brad Keithley's take on this and more. It's all up ahead. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio, Weekly Top 3 up next. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. I mean, really. billion and new revenue and, oh, by the way, 3.5 billion in the CBR, additional in the CBR. I mean, come on, it's going to, I just, I mean, and then they look at you with a straight face and, and Lyman Hoffman with a straight face looked at the camera and said, this is a fiscal plan. It's a, this is a fiscal pl- this is we're going to take all your money and spend it that's a fiscal plan um uh oh wait a minute i'm sorry it was and i appreciate that it was it was kaufman not rauscher i apologize it was kaufman uh uh <laughs> Sorry, looking at too many things this morning. I'll correct that on the other side of the uh, break there. Uh, All right. Um, Not going to get a dividend. Breaking news, says Rick Williams. COVID-37 hits Juno. It's always something. Um, Yeah, I meant Kaufman. It was my fault. So thank you, guys. I'll get it squared away here. Just a second. Uh, I will... I will amend my language on the other side. <sighs> All right. Well, let's get into this thing. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is ready to join us. I mean, I hope he's ready. I mean, it's it's early. <laughs> I know it's early. Yeah. Hey, how are how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. You did promote Rauscher to the Senate. I mean, that, yeah. that's well, some plus. You know, that was that was my fault. I you know too many. 
too many too many things flying around in my head this morning. Uh, easy to make a mistake when you talk for ten hours plus on the radio every week. <laughs> it's easy to step in it occasionally. Uh, it won't be the won't be the last mistake I make this week alone, let alone for today. So we'll get that uh, we'll get that squared away. How are things going, my friend? How are you doing? They're doing great. They're doing great. You the Shelley Hughes quote about running into the mountain was a good one. She also had a great retort to Kathy Geisel. Geisel was talking about, we need this money because we've got, you know, people who are hungry and don't have food and, you know, they need food stamps. So we need more money to, for staff, <coughs> state staff to be able to send food staffs out. And Shelly's retort was, uh, what if we just give them their PFD and let them buy their own groceries? <laughs> right. As opposed, as opposed to running the money through government. I, yeah. It was a great, it was a great, great retort. Yeah, no, I love, I, I love, this is Kathy Geisel, you know. Uh, we need new revenue, not from oil. We need more revenue from other sources. We need to work hard so we can continue to provide the services that all of us depend on. Then she said, uh, Geisel said the successive legislature's flat budgets have had consequences. Uh, pointing to the, I mean, seriously, flat budgets have had. Shut up. Just get out of it. Just get out of the room. <laughs> Just get out of the room. Is anybody buying the whole flat budgets consequences thing? Um, I mean, it's obviously we had the largest budget in state history passed last year, but it's flat budgets. It's flat budgets. <laughs> I just shut up. Well, except, just, except, you know, there's flat budgets except for the last three. And then, you know. Yeah, except for the last three <laughs> and a few. Then there was a couple of years of kind of flat budgets. And then there was years where we spent all this stuff from savings. So, I mean, don't, you know, pay no attention to any of that. Flat budgets, you know. Uh, back in twenty, back in twenty oh five, we had a flat budget, and that's counting for all this stuff. Here. I'm just... What I what I what I really like is they try to count. What is it? Twenty eighteen? Was that no? Twenty nineteen? They they try to count the year. Um, you know, maybe it was twenty twenty. They try to count one of the years as a as a flat budget. But they but they don't count the supplemental that got that got piled back into that year. The following from, year yeah. from the from the yeah. subsequent year. And yeah. so, you know, this period of flat budgets. Yeah. It, if if you just don't look, if you don't look in the if you don't look in the, you know, the in the files and actually yeah. look at the real numbers, then they're flat yeah. budgets. If you don't look at the actuals, it's fine. The proposed <laughs> budget was flat. What they actually spent was not flat. But I know it's uh it's insane. Okay, well, we're 20 seconds out. We're ready to go. We're going to continue here in just a second. Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. I'm going to do the uh, Kaufman and uh, Rauscher uh, mea culpa here, and we'll get back to this. Don't go anywhere. Back with more. Okay, welcome back to the program, The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. It's Tuesday, the weekly top three. But before I get into it with Brad, oh man, did I step in it. I made a mistake, which again, as I said earlier, will not be the last mistake I've made this week. Uh, not blocking Harold, definitely a mistake. Um, 
There was some <laughs> other mistakes going on. But I said earlier that George Rauscher was the one that voted for the bill, uh, which was totally – George Rauscher's in the House. It was Kaufman, James Kaufman. I don't know why I – Anyway, just one of those things. You talk for 10 hours a week live on the radio without a script, and you're eventually going to step in it, and I stepped in it. It was James Kaufman, Senator James Kaufman, not George Rauscher from the House. Sorry, George, my mistake. James <laughs> Kaufman. Um, I don't know why I swapped the faces in my brain, but there you go. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Hello, my friend. Uh, weekly Top 3. Uh, Dunleavy has talking a lot about balance. He's talking a lot about how you can't take from one to give to the other and other, which sounds great on paper, but it's obviously nobody's listening. So uh, hit us with the beginning of the weekly top three here. Well, I think, uh, I think, you know, sometimes you look for quotes that sort of uh, uh, summarize or, or capture uh, uh, the, the point you're trying to make and, and sort of, you know, play up that quote. And I think one of, one of the governor's quotes from last week's press conference where he announced uh, that there wasn't a fiscal plan. Let's have a press conference to announce there's not a fiscal plan, but we hope there will be one. Uh, but one of the comments he made uh, in last week's uh, press conference, I think is one of those quotes I'm gonna be coming back to uh, often. Uh, he said, a broad-based solution that doesn't gouge or take huge parts from one sector or another or penalize one sector or another is probably the most important thing we can do. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, he was talking about revenues uh, and, and you know, developing new revenues and, and, and a, a fiscal plan that, that doesn't gouge uh, one sector or another. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's a great quote. It, it's in fact the quote that applies to the fiscal policy working group uh, and the work that they did uh, a couple of years ago, it's the quote that probably applies to uh, 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 Ben Carpenter's uh, Ways and Means Committee and the work uh, and the work they're doing. It's great to see the governor endorse it. Now, whether you know his plans have lived up to that's another question. Uh, but I, but it's it's a quote that I think uh, uh, really captures what we're trying to do. One more time, a broad-based solution that doesn't gouge or take huge parts from one sector or another or penalize one sector or another is probably the most important thing we can do. And I and and the converse of that is everybody's got to have some skin in the game. Um, we, we shouldn't take too much from one sector. We shouldn't gouge one sector. We shouldn't, you know, do 20 POMB 2575 and take um, uh, you know solve the fiscal plan on the on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. Um, but uh, the converse of it is that everybody's got to have skin in the game. Everybody's got to put uh, some skin in the game. And that means something from the, just like the fiscal policy working group uh, uh, proposed, something from uh, uh, the, the PFD, something from uh, upper income Alaska families through some sort of revenue, something from uh, uh, the oil companies uh, and, and so on. And I think, that's, I think that is sort of the key that, that we ought to be looking for. Uh, yesterday's vote in the Senate was anything but that. Uh, it, it is, as Shelley Hughes put it, as, uh, as Rob Myers put it, as Mike Shower put it, as even Forrest Dunbar put it. And I, you know, if somebody wants to, if somebody wants to see a surprising speech from yesterday's floor, uh, vote, go find Forrest Dunbar's because that was a remarkably, uh, 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 a remarkable speech in terms of, in terms of, you know, the stand he was taking for, uh, for middle and lower income Alaska families. 
um, as, as they noted yesterday, as all of those floor speeches noted yesterday, the 2575 plan, or, or as, as Bert talks about it, and as Lyman talks about it, the 7525 plan, putting government first, and, and you know, appropriately, in their minds, appropriately so, putting government first and the 25% to Alaska <laughs> families. Um, the 2575 plan is anything but uh, a balanced approach. It, as Shelley pointed out, as Rob pointed out, and as others pointed out, it, uh, it, it funds government on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. And for anybody to think, for anybody to think, you know, Bert made this long speech where he was throwing out a bunch of numbers and trying to give people the big picture. Well, the big picture, what, 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 what nobody noted was that the big picture is that 2575 doesn't solve the problem. If, if, if the problem is a billion three, Yep. Uh, which Bert kept coming back to, to, to do all the things we need to do. We need a billion three in additional revenues. We need this, uh, we need additional money in the CBR. If the number's a billion three, 2575 doesn't give you a billion three. It gives you a billion, it gives you enough to cover the deficit, projected deficit. If, if a billion three is the total deficit you're looking at, gives you enough to cover the projected deficit, the sort of the buildup to that over the next couple of years. But by the third year, we're back into deficits, and 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 you know, and and we need to remember that the proposed, the Senate proposed twenty five seventy five is just a statute, and and you know, listening to all these people talk about, oh, it's a statute, and and you know, and 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 we're really making a solid case here, and we're really making a solid stand, and this is the fiscal solution for well, it's a statute, right? And and you and well, you've ignored the statute well, for the past. The statute that's already on the books for the past. So what? What you know? Well, and kudos, what faith should we have that that the new statute you're enacting is going to is going to do anything? And kudos to Sean McGuire for mentioning this. He's the only one of all the reporting that mentioned that that the nonpartisan quote unquote legislative finance position projected that the seventy five twenty five would leave the state with a deficit within three years. So it doesn't fix anything. It's not a long-term fiscal plan. It's a short-term Band-Aid on a spurting arterial wound. We're going to take 75%, and that just means in three years they'll come back and say, oh, 100%, 100%, 100%. it's got to be 100%. I mean, that's what's happening. No, no, they'll ratchet it down over time. It'll be it'll be 80-20. It'll be the 80-20 plan, and then right. the 85-15 plan, and then the 90-10 plan, and then maybe we'll get we'll get to the end of it. But it's – yeah. It, Dunleavy has it right. Dunleavy has it right in terms of a little bit from everybody. No one gets gouged. Everybody contributes. And if everybody contributes, it's not that much from everybody. I mean, it's you got a POMB 50-50, which, which is consistent with what Hammond, you know, believed in the first place. Um, you take you take some from the oil companies, you take some from uh upper income Alaska families through a through a, a revenue measure that 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 has them participating, unlike uh, unlike PFD cuts. Um, you take some maybe from tourists. Uh, uh, you take well, you take some from non-residents in some fashion, either through uh, through non-resident workers in the state, non non-residents with income in the state, or non-residents uh, uh, spending money in the state uh, as as tourists. You 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 get everybody in, and if you get everybody in, it's not that much from from each participant. Um, and then you then you put you put uh, uh, some sort of spending cap on top of that. Uh, you cap it off, and and that's a fiscal plan. 
but uh, but this approach that the Senate passed yesterday is is anything but a fiscal plan. It's as I think you've got a great quote on that. It's a bandaid on top of a spouting arterial wound. Yeah, I mean, well, that's part of the problem all the time. It's we have to do something. We have to look like we're doing something. So we're trying to triage this, you know, and we're snake bit and they're like, oh, here's a lollipop. That'll help. I mean, it, it, it's just it's not working. I mean, what you're doing is a short term fix for a problem that you created and you're looking like you want to try and fix it. But the bottom line is you're setting us up for failure in the future. Like you said, maybe in three years with this deficit, if it if it if it everything went out the way they wanted with the seventy five twenty five. Uh, in three years, they may just turn it to zero or they just may ratchet. Oh, now it's 80. Oh, now it's 85. Now it's 95. You know, by the time you're at the five, six year mark, oh, it's 100 percent. Oh, and by the way, now we need some form of taxation because we just can't. You need your services. It, it was it was disingenuous of Bert. I mean, half, after having run through all the <clears throat> excuse me, after having run through all those numbers, it was disingenuous of Bert not to admit that that this is this is just a temporary fix and it sets up sets up the next uh, the next step it's we've got to have people who are honest uh, addressing this issue and i you know and i need to i need to recognize that the governor stepped up the governor is stepping up and saying we need uh revenues to fix this but we need to fix it not on the backs of any one given uh group we need to you know everybody needs to chip in toward the solution it needs to be balanced not gouging um, any one group. And I, and I think that's great. Now the governor needs to step up and actually follow through on that. I mean, he needs to, he needs to actually, you know, propose a plan that, that, that does exactly what he's, what he set out as the standard. Um, and it's, and he's not done that. Uh, but, but se- at least we have some standard now that, that has been set out by at least one part of the government the executive branch as the standard that we're shooting for that that uh, that makes some sense. Now we need people to follow through, and now we pe- need people to be honest about the about the situation as opposed to you know Bert's numbers games where uh, where he doesn't admit that uh, we're right back into it in three years. Well, I think it's interesting that we're seeing more commentary. We had the Economist that was uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, admitting that this is a tax on Alaskans and it disproportionately affects, you know, you got the governor saying it needs to be a more balanced approach and things like that. There are some people who were kind of been quieter about this that are now starting to point out the obvious part, saying the quiet part out loud that this disproportionately affects the lowest, you know, 50 percent of income earners in the state of Alaska. And it really doesn't help the middle class either. I mean, the only ones benefiting are the top 20. Right. It's it's not, it, you know, people talk about this being a low income, low income issue. It's not. I mean, middle income Alaska families, 80% of Alaska families, including, and and depending upon how you break up the brackets, uh, if you break them up into quintiles, you've got the low 20, the low middle 20, you've got the middle middle 20, the high middle 20, and then the, and then the upper 20. Um, the 60% in the middle, all the, the, the low middle, the middle middle, and the upper middle, are all disproportionately affected by uh, by using PFD cuts. They all would pay less, contribute less, be required to contribute less uh, through uh, through another revenue well, mechanism, I mean, whether actually, sales taxes or, or 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 flat taxes or income taxes, whatever it is. They all would they all would contribute. Less. Yeah, I mean, look, a, a family of four making one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. Family of four, if you took you know you take their three PFDs away or the majority of them away. 
that's 10%. That's like 9,000 bucks that's being taken right out of their pockets. I mean, that's not an insignificant amount. That's almost, what's that, 8 9%? I mean, that's insane. I mean, it does affect people who are in the middle income as well. It just affects those who are in the lower income more. And at least people are starting to admit it uh, and admit that it's a tax. I mean, that's the that's the big thing. It it It's a taking. And I know the legislature, well, you know, services and we've got to. Oh, that's insane. It's absolutely insane. You juxtapose, you juxtapose Kathy Giesel's floor uh, 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 speech yesterday against Forrest Dunbar's. I mean, everybody expected Shower, Shelley, and Rob uh, to do a great job defending the PFD. But the one I, I really want people to focus on is Forrest Dunbar's speech. You juxtapose Giesel saying, "Oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta take this money because we gotta spend on government to protect all these people." You juxtapose that against Forrest's uh, argument that, "Look, you're taking too much money from middle and lower income Alaska families. We need to be fair about this." Uh, we need to have a full fiscal plan that treats everybody fairly, not just take it off the backs of, of lower of middle and lower income Alaska families. And he used that phrase. And and it's and you've got and you see, you know, you you see the the difference between the top 20 percent Republicans. What that really tells you is the difference between the top 10, 20 percent Republicans. Ooh, we need government spending, but we don't want to pay for it. And and somebody who truly is focused on middle and lower income Alaska families, 80% of Alaska families. Yeah, maybe we need government, but it shouldn't be done on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. So I yeah, there there is these sprouts, these sprigs, like like the governor's quote. There are these sprigs of green that are that are coming through coming through the snow, but you know, we aren't we aren't at a fiscal plan yet. Well, yeah, we're nowhere near a fiscal plan. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Oof, man, we're going to we're going to run long here today. I can tell. Uh, Brad, give me a tease for number two. Uh, number two, which is the top 20 percent creating their own little refuge, their own little paradise. Carl Mars, uh, uh, who's a who's a great foil. Uh, Carl Mars wrote an op ed in the ADN that I got. I mean, I just laughed all the way all the way through. It's so transparent what's going on. Mars's uh, headline was something like, Alaska doesn't need new taxes. The, the subtext of it was Alaska doesn't need two, new taxes that reach the top 20%. We're just fine with taking taxes from middle and lower income Alaska families. But we're going to talk a little bit about Mars's editorial. And we're going to talk a little bit about what, you know, what the, what, what his, what he and the other, uh, his friends in the top 20% are trying to, uh, trying to achieve. Wait, you mean they're trying to shield themselves from paying any more? Shocking. I tell you, absolutely shocking. I'm flabbergasted. We're back with more. Brad Keithley, our guest, the weekly top three. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man... They're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Oh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable. We're going to stretch to try and get to three. I may, I may force Brad to stay with us. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we go here as we go through here. But Brad, this is again the theater. I mean, this is really what it was. It was Kabuki theater on the floor of the Senate yesterday. 
telling us all these things about, oh, we can't, you know, we've got to. And and this is the irony. The House, members of the House, Kevin McCabe, et cetera, actually compromised and said, okay, we'll come off the full PFD down to the 50-50 PFD because that's Hammond's vision. We don't, we want, we'd like to stay at the, but we'll come down as a compromise. And the other side's like, okay, great. So we're going to move it to 75-25. That's <laughs> It's not how compromise works. I mean, that's not how it's, but, but this is, they are just bound and determined to get to that point to where government sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And now apparently Kevin said, I didn't even notice this. They want to spend $1.4 billion to inflation proof. The, the POMV plan is, it's got built in inflation proofing. That's what it's supposed to. Now you want to take another billion. I mean, how are you ever going to get to the, 1.3 billion in new revenues and three and a half billion in the CBR. It's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. It's basically them going, let me give you the finger and then see what's going, you know, good luck getting to that side. You know, I mean, that's, it's exactly what it is. It's unattainable. Uh, it, was, it, it was humorous. It was humorous to he hear uh, uh, Lyman and, and Burke to some degree, you know, defend, defend uh, uh, 7525. We got to remember they're putting government first in these numbers, 7525. Uh, it was humorous to hear them uh, uh, defend that and say, "Well, we're giving you a we're giving you a plan. We're giving you a way to uh, to develop uh, uh, new revenues and to get back to 50-50, to buy your way back to 50-50. By the way, you have to pay more uh, than than just the difference between twenty five seventy five and fifty fifty. You have to pay about a billion dollars more, and you have to put money into the CBR to do it. But but we're giving you a way to, to a way to get back." To hear to hear them do that, and then hear Kathy Geisel, you know, well, we can't do it on the backs of the of the of the resource companies. My God, that would be a horrible way to do it. Um, and and you know that Bert's chairman and and intends to stay chairman for life of Senate Finance and block any any revenue measures that he that he doesn't like. So here's a plan. Oh, by the way, we're in charge of whether you get whether you get that additional revenue, and we're opposed to new revenues coming from anybody else other than middle and lower income Alaska families, but, but here's your way to do it. It was, it was, it was Kabuki theater. I agree with that. It was disingenuous. It was dishonest. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it was not telling Alaskans the truth. It's like, and it's like, we're all going to play this air hockey game. And this one, my friends is for all the marbles. And then Bert Stedman takes a milk carton and puts it right in front of his goal. Go for it. There you go. You can make it. It'll be fine. I mean, it, wait a second. I mean, this is the the field is rigged from the very beginning. And like you said, yeah, Bert Stedman, he wants to be finance chair for life. And as far as I can tell, although somebody from Sitka the other day, I was speaking with somebody from Sitka and they said, well, there's a move to get him out. And I'm like, why? He's giving them everything that they want. Uh, and there obviously is Seattle North for many of the people that are down there at Sitka, it seems like. So why would they want to change out Bert? Because he's given them everything they want. It seems to be no indication in the last 15, 18 years that he's been in there that there's anybody that could move him off the off the dime right now. I mean, maybe. Well, and, and and he and Lyman have shown, I mean, as, as with the Senate as closely divided as it truly is, if it, this Senate doesn't, re, doesn't reflect the, the true division that's in there, with the Senate as divided as it as it truly is, Bert and Lyman, you know, and Donnie are willing to go either any direction, just as long as they're in power, just as long as as they get to continue to be uh, uh, chairs or co-chairs. Uh, uh, you know, the senator from uh, 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 
Fairbanks click Bishop is, is another one of those. We'll, we'll go. We, we don't care what side we're on as long as, as long as we're in power, as long as we're the ones that that's, are able to do it. So that's the word, you know, power. Yeah. And, 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 and so Bert is sitting there going, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, keep playing the game and I'll continue to be here. And yeah. Yeah. You can earn your way back into it. You can pass all these revenues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Try and do it. Try and do it through my committee, but you can yeah. pass all these revenues. Don't worry. I got it. It's all taken care of. Don't worry about it. I mean, you know, come on, seriously. The walrus has spoken. Um, all right. Uh I just it's dude, I'm just so I'm so frustrated watching this. I mean, I knew this was going to be a bad year. I knew this was going to be a year where nothing was going to get done. Then we saw how the majority shook out. I knew it was going to be even worse. And now here it is. And this is a this, my friends, is a stereotypical example of the direct application of trying to of the retention of power. That's exactly what it is. But you are 100 percent right. Click and Bert and all these guys would be like, I'll wear whatever animal you want on my lapel as long as I can still sit here at this table and be the one that directs everything. I don't care. There's there. It's all about pro government spend at 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 any cost. At any cost to the private sector, doesn't matter what it does to the private sector. As long as our spend is protected, we're good to go. All right. Um, <clears throat> on that happy thought, let's return for number two. Number two, which is, of course, them creating this utopia of uh, government spend with absolutely no co consequences for the their donor class, the top 20%. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Let's get to it. Here we go. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, continues with us this morning. The weekly top three, we're only up to number two. Uh, number two is the direct top 20% utopia that they're trying to create. Brad, hit me with your thoughts on what's going on right now with the powers that be in the legislature. Well, Carl Mars uh, writes these op-eds uh, near the end of every session um, and, and, and it's intended to, you know, Flail the 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 flag of of no taxes and the and the uh, it's really the same op-ed just written every year with a few new words, but this one is Alaska doesn't need new taxes. Well, we already have taxes. PFD cuts are taxes. We're we're long since past uh, recognizing that. So what 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 Mars is really trying to do is say we don't need taxes on the top twenty percent. We need to continue harvesting the taxes we have on middle and lower income Alaska families. PFD cuts. We need to continue relying on those. We don't need new taxes that might reach the top 20%. And what, what's really going on here, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm repeating myself from prior programs, but what's really going on here is the top 20% are trying to create this, this tax haven nirvana, this Alaska tax haven nirvana, where they get all the government services they want, increase K through 12, the university fully funded big trans big uh, capital budget so the contractor portion of uh, of the top 20% get all the get all the profits they need um, uh, you know child care now we're going to have government subsidized child care that's in the senate that's in the senate budget uh, where they have all of these government services but they don't have to pay for it by pushing the cost down to middle and lower, lower income Alaska families 
and they keep trying to sell Alaska as no taxes. We're a no tax state. Well, it's no taxes for the top 20%. It's a great haven, tax haven for the top 20%. We're sort of like, we're sort of like one of these Caribbean countries now, you know, we're a tax haven, but we're only a tax haven for, for a portion of the population. We're a, for, we're a tax haven for the, for the, for the, those in the top 20%. We're not a tax haven for anybody else. So you get, you get this nirvana out there of fully funded government services, a lot of government services, complain about not having enough government services. Kathy Geisel, ah, we need more money to, to have more government government services. You know, we need we, teachers uh, need more money. Well, let's just fund, let's just fund, let's just, you know, give more money to the BSA. Let's create more money for K through 12. The university, oh, we need the university for stuff, whatever we need the university for, let's give them more money. Roger Hickel needs more capital budget. Well, let's give him some more money. Let's let's increase the let's increase the capital budget. But let's make sure that we don't have to pay for it. And and when you read these op-eds, you really need to understand what they're arguing for. They're arguing for no taxes on themselves. Right, because they don't care, before they don't care about anybody else. Yeah, and again, I mean, you know, some of the commentary and things like, oh, you know, you're just for taxes. We are. Okay, let me point it out. We no, let me come to me first. Let me come to me. We are already being taxed. Everybody in the states being taxed. Unfortunately, it's disproportionately affecting the lowest 60% of income earners uh to some well, to the majority of the extent, even the lowest 80%. We are already being taxed. That's the bottom line. I mean, right Brad? I mean, that's that's the point. The point is, is what we have right now protects government spend above all else. And and as you said accurately, I think that word works well, harvests it from the lowest 80 percent, which are the I mean, that's the vast majority of the population. The top 20 percent is a smaller slice. I mean, fractionally smaller slice. And they are the ones that are going like, sure, go ahead, make that new program. No problem. We, 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 we're happy with it. We'll create a company that actually services that and takes money from the government for that. We'll do that. That makes a, that's a good idea. Cap, that's an entrepreneurship. Yeah. The no taxes. I mean, I, I, I've become very intolerant of, of those who go around saying no taxes, no taxes. We already have taxes. What, what you're really arguing for is, is no taxes on the top 20%. That's just, I mean, that's, that's just the basics of, of, of what you're arguing for. And that's, you know, if you're in the top 20%, I understand why you're doing that. If you're in the bottom 80%, I don't quite get why you're doing that because you're just helping out the top 20% keep their, keep their nirvana. We are only going to get government spending under control. We are only going to get government spending control when, as Dunleavy says, everybody, well, the, the reverse of what Dunleavy said, everybody has skin in the game. We are only going to get government spending under control once everybody has skin in the game. If you leave some group out, I don't care if it's the top 20%, the bottom 20%, the middle 20%, if you leave some, some group out, they're going to continue to press for spending because they don't have to pay for it. You're only going to get spending under control if everybody has to contribute toward the cost. You get spending, you get you, you, you extend the, the responsibility to contribute to government to Natasha von Imhoff, to Karl Mars, to others, all of a sudden, to the Binkleys, all of a sudden they're going to be saying, wait, we don't need to be subsidized child care. We don't need to be doing sub state subsidized child care. You're going to have that sort of reaction. If they have to pay a part of the bill, you're going to have that sort of reaction. 
But as long as they're able to push it down to middle and lower income Alaska families, as long as Karl Mars's no taxes is, is the mantra, um, you're going to continue to get state subsidized child care. You're going to get continue to get BSA increases. You're going to continue to get um, uh, big capital budgets. You're going to continue to get uh, university spending because they enjoy the benefits of it, but they don't have to pay for it. Get everybody in the game, and then we'll get a rational fiscal plan. Leave somebody out of the game, bottom 20%, top 20%, and we won't have a rational fiscal plan because somebody will have an incentive to continue to push for spending because it's on somebody else's back. Right. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. Brad, this goes right back to what I've been saying for the last, uh, I guess, two years more than anything else. We've really got to stop looking at this from a partisan standpoint of Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. This really, in this state, it is broken down to a very unique dichotomy. It is the pro-government spend versus the pro-private sector spend. That's really what it's breaking down to right now. And unfortunately, we've got this weird divide where... We've got a welfare state that, that again, fixates on the lowest income earners getting welfare of one type and the highest income earners getting welfare of another type, the corporate type welfare. And so we're in a very unique place in this country uh, when it comes to these kind of things. And I mean, it's really the a marriage made in hell because it's 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 created this dichotomy and this push pull where the public sector is supreme over all things. And Rob Mars, Rob Myers makes the makes the best point about that. Rob Myers says you want you want to you want to build something in the state. You want money to do something in the state. You've got to go to state government. I mean, they've created a system where you've got to go to state government because they're the ones that have all the money. What Hammond did through the PFD was try to try to get some of that money in the hands of the people, so people could make their own decisions about what they do, what they wanted to do. Entrepreneurs could have you know some sort of cash flow, some sort of nest egg to be able to build up um, and do something. But now with PFD cuts, they're taking that source of money into the private sector out of out of it, converting it over to government and creating a situation in which, in which only government, 60 plus one, decide you know what gets funded in the state, what gets done in the state. And so they created a situation where the top 20% who want more money, they want to go to, you know, let's have a bigger capital budget. Let's have a bigger K through 12 budget. Let's have a bigger, you know, uh, university budget, but don't make us pay for it because, you know, we're the beneficiaries of it. We we don't want to have to pay for it. Right. Let's just, let's just continue building government. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a unique system. I mean, I try to explain this to people in the lower 48, my friends in the lower 48 that are involved in in fiscal policy and they go, we don't understand that. Yeah. And, and, and you don't understand it because we've got this, we've got this weird, hugely regressive tax. That's uh, that, that's funding all of it. Well, and Hammond never put it in these terms, but essentially with the PFD, he was trying to strengthen the connection between the public and the private economy because he could see what was happening. The legislature took those monies, like that first $900 million payment, and they blew through it like it was a house of fire, and he could see what was going to happen. It was going to grow government outside of the control of the people. And so although he didn't put it in those terms, the PFD was created to ultimately create a stronger linkage between the public public and the private sector, and they've been whittling away at it since 2016. Hammond, Hammond did understand, and Hammond did say things that, 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 that connect to that. I mean, Hammond said, if you want more spending, if you want more spending than, than what, you know, the other 50% can, can provide, then we need taxes. And taxes are the mechanism, you know, the sort of Damocles that would hang over the legislature's broad-based taxes. 
the sort of Damocles that would hang over the legislature's head and say, you want more spending? Then you're going to have to Im impose taxes, broad-based taxes that will affect the top 20%, will affect all Alaska families, and they'll push back on it. What's happened is by, by not using taxes for the additional revenues to allow them to use additional PFD cuts, you've taken that sort of Damocles away, right. hanging over the legislature's head. And so they just continue spending because they don't have to they don't have to respond to their donors to the t in the top 20 percent. Brad, we're out of time. Um, do you want to hang over for number three? Are you? Oh, sure. OK. Oh, All sure. right. I know I talked him into it. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three. Number three is coming up. And that is the question on uh, a question on oil tax that nobody is asking yet. Uh, Brad's going to give us some details on that, and uh, we'll we'll finish up. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, you can come out and join us on Facebook if you'd like, facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. <clears throat> Hour two, dead ahead. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you on the other side. I mean, tell me how you really feel. Um, <clears throat> it's it's infuriating because you can see they literally are like taking hatchets to the to the to the cable to you know they want to they want to be free of that private economy. They don't want to have any consequences. They just want it to live in its own little government-run, self-contained bubble. As long as we can, that was the whole talk about the hundred billion dollar permanent fund. If we can get it to that, then we could just spin off money. Although. Looking at the historical spending habits of the legislature, that wouldn't last long. It wouldn't be five percent anymore. You know, it would be, oh, we we need more than five billion. Now we need a hundred and twenty billion dollar fund, or a hundred and fifty billion dollar fund, or a four hundred billion dollar fund, because there's no way they could live within their means. To that point, it's interesting to see the evolution of the discussion of of twenty five seventy five. I refuse to say seventy five twenty five twenty five seventy five. It's interesting to see the evolution of 2575 over the course of this legislature, maybe the last two legislatures. First of all, when, when 2575 was first proposed, it was going to spin off a bunch of savings, right, that would go into the permanent fund um, and, and and build up that permanent fund to 100 to 100, the 100 billion dollars. They no longer talk about it that way. The reason they no longer talk about it that way is spending has increased to the point that they need 2575 just to pay for just to pay for ongoing government expenses. I mean the the Senate budget this year is at 2575 and it's got a 90 million dollar a fraction of 1%. They got a 90 million dollar um, uh, surplus that'll be eaten up before before the budget gets taken before the budget fully goes through. And 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 that's all that's left out of this huge surplus that they said they were going to run with 2575 when they when you know last legislature earlier this legislature when they talked about 2575 it was going to get us through the next 10 years without deficits and then we'd address it at the end of the 10-year period now it gets us through two years uh, uh before we before we run back into deficits and right. what's happened is spending is spending is creeping right on up oh 2575 well that's all that government money let's have a bigger capital budget let's let's do the bsa let's do no you know k through 12 let's immediately fully fund the immediately university. consumed immediately consumed it won't be 24 months and they'll be right back to the drawing board again because it is not a fiscal plan it is not a fiscal plan they're just like fill the hole it's like the it's like the the bucket with a hole in the bottom and they just keep shoveling stuff into it and they're like well i don't know why this bucket won't fill up uh because you're spending it faster than you could 
put it in there. That's for sure. Um, Jim asked the question, uh, Brad, and this is a good one for you. When you're talking about the top 20% and the lower 80%, what income ranges are you talking about um, when top, you're talking? Top 20% is about $120,000 uh, household income and above. Yeah. In Alaska. In Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. So top it's, it's, <clears throat> yeah. So top 20% is, uh, is a pretty significant chunk. But even then, like I said, when you're talking about lower to middle income or even high middle income in the $100,000 range uh, for a family of four, I mean, that's that's a significant amount of money when you're talking about taking eight, nine, 10 percent out of it every year. It still hurts. I mean, I, I guarantee around my house, it still hurts um, when when you see that, when you've got, you know, four or five people, six people who are supposed to get dividends. And all of a sudden there's it's crickets. You're like, ooh, that was stuff that we could have really done some good with. And you can't do it. And you're just it's taxed right out the door. Yep. It, it's uh, I mean, it's. <laughs> And and at the lower level, at the lower level of the top twenty percent, it's it's still fairly close. I mean, it's still uh, uh, a flat a flat tax and uh, PFD cuts take just about the same at the lower level of top twenty percent. It's once you kick in, I mean, to some degree, um, uh, uh, the proposal on a, on an income tax that would kick in at two hundred thousand dollars had it right. That's really where you start feeling the difference between. Uh, uh, PFD cuts and uh, uh, and uh, uh, flat tax. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, uh, you know, more of your thoughts on the uh, on the floor session yesterday because I only got a chance to watch a couple of the speeches. Uh, I couldn't make it through Bert's speech because I just started to watch it and then I was like. No, I can't. I can't. I'm getting dumber by the minute. I cannot do that. Um, but there was a lot of of that whole. Well, the government really takes care of you in every aspect, so we have to make sure that it's fully fun. And I kept thinking, if you gave Alaskan families, the average family of three or four, their full dividend, that would probably go a lot further than trying to provide somebody with services that they will, they may need, or they may utilize, or may never utilize. Especially the lower middle income folks. I mean. They, they don't qualify for most of that stuff and you're taking it right out of their pockets. Yeah. Shelly, Shelly had a, had a, had a great, as I said earlier, Shelly had a great rejoinder to Kathy Giesel when Kathy was saying, Oh, we need, you know, we need this government money because we need to fund people to send out uh, 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 food stamps. And, and Shelly said, well, why don't we just give the dividend to those in the lower income Alaska, lower income Alaska families so they can pay for their own groceries as opposed to having to wait for government to, to come along yeah. uh, uh, to pay for it, I it, it, people need to people need to watch. If if you're really interested in the floor debate yesterday, you need to watch Rob and and Shelley and and Shower, but also include Forrest Dunbar's speech in there. I, right, I was I was sort of shocked, um, uh, but Forrest gave an excellent uh, 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 rejoinder to uh, yeah to the to the proposal on the floor yesterday, and I think it's a great I think it's well, a great speech. Again, uh, like I said, the lowest income earners at least have access to some of the social safety net stuff that they keep talking about. It is really those who are just outside of that, who make too much money to be able to participate in that, that are harmed the most by this. And that's, and you know, and that's why the top 20% try to emphasize lowest, that PFDs are good for lowest, but you know, we're not, but we've got other ways, you know, what they say is we've got other ways of taking care of, uh, taking care of them. It's middle income Alaska families that are really getting hosed by PFD cuts. They're the ones that are that are losing more through PFD cuts than they would uh, than they would through taxes. Brad and, Ke- and that's where we 
that's that's the focus of the argument. Absolutely. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The Michael Duke Show continues. Hour two, right now. thing back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to Tuesday. No, I did not bring tacos. I'm sorry. You, that, you're on your own on that one. We're ready to jump back into it, though. We held over our guest, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is normally with us in hour one to go through the weekly top three, but we were so verbose telling you all about how we really feel about this stuff that we never even got up to number three. And Brad was kind enough to uh, continue with us and stick around for the third part uh, of today's program. And so we jump over to him and join him right now. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks for uh, sticking with us. I really appreciate it. So number three. Um, and <clears throat> by the way, you missed a lot of the good in-between stuff. You can go back and listen to it on the podcast, the behind the commercial break stuff. Uh, lots more good stuff uh, peeled out there. But number three, Brad, and this is uh, one of the things is the question that nobody's asking about oil taxation yet. Now, again, to clarify for those nervous Nancys and Karens out in the chat room and out in the world, uh, Brad is in favor of changing the taxation structure on uh, oil companies. We've talked about this for maybe $500 million still left on the table that we could be getting there. Uh, he does not have a lot of friends left in the oil companies after he supported some of the repeals and things and, and everything else that was going on in SB21 and all that. Um, but uh, this is specifically about uh, a question on the oil taxes, Brad. So yesterday, one of the one of the other things that happened yesterday was a hearing in Senate Finance, two hearings, in fact, in Senate Finance uh, on oil taxes, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. They were supposed to take public comment uh, in the afternoon, but the hearing went long. The hearing with the invited guests went long, so they've put off uh, public comment. And I was real, I was really disappointed um, uh, in in the hearing, uh, the hearings thus far. I mean, it's it's like it's like everything else. We get into these polar opposites with the oil industry saying no taxes, any taxes, any tax increase would be bad. In fact, at one point they implied that they needed to tax decrease. Uh, in order to uh, continue to have an incentive to uh, develop. And then we have the Willikowski bill on the other 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 side that says, you know, that we just sort of need to tax 
tax as much as we possibly can think of taxing. Um, and and it's and we've got into these polar opposites again. That uh, that I think you know just we don't have a lot of time left, and so everybody's going to lock into their foxholes and and fight it. You know, throw shots across the across the field at each other without really trying to get to the center. Oil taxes are a math problem. They're nothing more than a math problem. Uh, the, and, and the math problem is what's the revenue maximizing point uh, for oil taxes? And it is, it's a question of how much can you, how much tax can you, can you levy in, in whatever form, property tax, production tax, royalty, doesn't really matter. How much government take can you levy without killing the golden goose, right? Without, without tipping over um, uh, the, the the decline curve into so steep a decline curve that you actually lose money. I mean, you can increase you can increase your per barrel take to the point that that you know there's no investment and and the decline curve ends up with Alaskans getting less money uh, out of the oil industry than uh, than they are now. And it's a math problem. It's 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 where where is the sweet spot? Where is the revenue maximizing point? How much can we take, how much can government take without tipping the decline curve over to the point where after a few years, we're actually losing money from where we otherwise would be if we kept, if we kept, kept taxes, uh, kept taxes level. It's, it's a, it's a formula. It's a, it's a, give me the inputs of what the decline curve is. Let me focus on at, at various revenue levels, various government take levels. Let me focus on those government take levels and let me figure out what the revenue maximizing, revenue maximizing point is. Nobody talked about that yesterday. It was it was everybody to their foxholes. I mean, it, it, Aoga was so bad that they were even defending the Hillcorp loophole. I mean, come on, you can't defend the Hillcorp loophole. The, the Hillcorp loophole is BP paid so much as a C corp. Hillcorp is an S corp, which means they're they're organized as an LLC. They came in and bought BP, so no longer are is are they paying taxes at the corporate level. They're not paying taxes at the individual level because we don't have an income tax at the individual level. And so there's about a hundred million dollar gap uh, between what be, what would have what the state would have received had it continued to be, be owned by BP and what the state's receiving uh, as a result of Hillcorp having replaced BP. That's it. That's that's the that's the Hillcorp loophole. Nothing to do with increased production incentive, no, nothing to do with investment levels. That's it. That's the difference between the two. And and Aoga is so in their foxhole, foxhole that they're defending even that. I mean, I can see the, the internal Aoga board meeting, which was, we're all in this together, right? We're all going to defend each other, right? You know, we're not going to start picking fights with each other, right? So we're all going to defend everything. And so they're over in their foxhole. And Wilikowski, to his credit, is out there at the other side. And Brennan's out there at the other side saying, we can take all this money from them. I mean, you know, you you compare it to North Dakota, you compare it to some other state that we pick, cherry pick, and we can take all this money from them. Well, the problem is if you take all that money from them, you may tip them over. There may not be enough investment. The decline curve may be steep. And we may end up, as Alaskans, we may end up losing more money. So the middle ground is let's do the basic math. Let's figure out what the decline curve is. Let's figure out the revenue maximizing point and let's go to the revenue maximizing point. No crickets uh, on that issue. Department of Revenue spoke, uh, the administration's Department of Revenue, who really 
You know, the administration is the one government body that has enough information to be able to figure that out. They've got Department of Natural Resources that, that calculates decline curves. You've got the Department of Revenue that calculates various ways of, of capturing the revenue. The government, the administration is the one focal point that, that really could uh, could figure out uh, figure this out other than the oil companies. But they spoke and they there wasn't anything even approximating an estimate of the of the revenue maximizing point. So we're 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 in this we're in this debate again about oil taxes. There is money to be had. Certainly the Hillcorp loophole needs to be closed. There's money to be had from from uh, from the other fields by figuring out the revenue maximizing point, but no one's trying to do it. And and if we continue down this road of everybody in their foxholes, nobody trying to figure out nobody doing the math, the math calculation, nobody figuring out the math problem, we're never going to get to an answer. We're going to keep, we're going to keep, you know, as you and I have talked about on various other things about fiscal policy, we're going to keep running from one side of the ship to the other side of the well, ship, yeah. you know, capsizing ourselves over. That's the problem with focusing on the extremes, right? The extreme of, oh, we'll take $1.5 billion on the one side or 1.3 or whatever the number is, or no, leave it exactly like it is. We're doing just fine. Everything. You know, it's the extremes. There's no uh, no discussion, and it doesn't seem there's like any real push to find the middle. Now, the House has been talking about that, has been talking about uh, a, a change in the oil tax structure. But in the uh, fiscal policy working group thing, they were talking about like $300 million. So that seems like that was somewhere in the middle. Where is the, you know, is, is anything coming out of there that that is asking that question? I, the House has talked about closing the Hillcorp loophole. They've talked about some adjustments on the per barrel uh, credits, but I've not seen, even on the house side, I've not seen a presentation on revenue maximizing, the revenue maximizing point and calculating the revenue maximizing point. It's a simple math calculation. It's, you need data to do it. You need to understand the decline curves to be able to do it, but it's a simple math calculation to do it. And I've not seen on either side, anybody trying to do that. It's sort of like, we were talking about the elephant, the old elephant story about, you know, somebody touches here and they think it's a bear or somebody touches there. And they think it's a horse and they don't see the big picture that it's, that it's an elephant. That's what we've got going on in the legislature about oil taxes. They're they're touching here and saying, oh, my gosh, look at North Dakota or whatever other state I want to cherry pick. Look at North Dakota and, and you know, they can tax, you know, tax up to this. And. North Dakota that doesn't have the type of uh, climate that we have, the entire environmental issues that we have, but we can tax up to this. And then, you know, (laughs) the AOGA, God love them saying, Oh, you can't touch anything. In fact, you really need to reduce taxes to, to, to maximize production here. It's, it's, it's a strange for, for a government that is so tied to oil, that's so dependent on oil revenues, it's very strange to see how little we actually think through the issue and 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 do the math problem that's all it is and do the math problem and come uh, come to the conclusion of the revenue maximizing point and then move on kevin we just we just, we, we just don't do it kevin McCabe of the chat room says there's no way to calculate the threat of oil companies stopping immediately investing in alaska how do we calculate that and i think you just answered that the governor has a lot of those numbers in the Department of Revenue, Department of, of DNR, I mean, uh, the natural resources and stuff. They could pull that together, at least put together some kind of model, right? I mean, but it's not just, you can't just back of the napkin it. You got to have some hard numbers to know what's going on to begin with. When we did, when when the state debated uh, going to uh, 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 
a profits-based tax in the early 2000s, 2004, 2005, 2006. We ultimately ended up going to the extreme with ACES. But when we debated it in 2004, 2005, 2006, there actually was some serious effort by both the oil companies. There actually was a collaborative effort by both the oil companies and the state to figure out the revenue maximizing point. That ultimately got lost in the in Murkowski's decline, the rise of Sarah Palin, the, the LNG project and everything else. It got very murky uh, uh, in the middle 2000s, but there was actually an effort to do it. It is calculable. I mean, it takes it takes effort. It takes it takes concentration. It takes an understanding of the international uh, oil industry, uh, and we hired experts uh, uh, back in the middle 2000s to do it. It is it is possible to do it. The state the state was on track to do it in the middle 2000s, and then it blew up with. Uh, with Palin and Murkowski, but it's not, I mean, it, we shouldn't dismiss it and say there's no way to do it. There is a way to do it. And 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 the effort, the administration needs to put in the effort to do it. The legislature may need to hire experts to do it, but there is a way to do it. And just, you know, waving your hands and saying, well, I can't do that is, is, the, is the wrong answer. Right. Because if you're looking for the true solution, which is uh, some form of taxation that increases without pushing them over the edge of, uh, of lack of investment, You've got to find the sweet spot, and you can't do it by throwing darts at the board. You've got to have the information to do it. So it's going to take a little effort and a little money and some experts, maybe some cooperation from the oil company if they're willing to do it. I don't know if they'd even be willing to do it at this point. Yeah, I lived I lived through that effort in, in 2004, 2005, 2006. It was a very good effort. I mean, there were there were people who were really trying to trying to legitimately seven, eight, uh, it went on after that, legitimately trying to come to the right answer. Um, and, and we sort of, we sort of got there, but then didn't get there in, in the end because of, because of the Palin issues. Right. Um, I got off the ball at that right. point. And Vico, right. Vico contributed yeah. to that as well. Yeah. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Final thoughts here, Brad, as we wrap things up on the weekly top three in the last 15 days of the session. I think I think you know we're we're if we're headed for a special session that's fine special session on on fiscal matters getting a financial plan that's fine um, I think Dunleavy's got the right goal out there in talking about everybody gives a little uh, I think there has to be some hard effort put in on the oil tax side to find the right answer but the answer's out there uh, and um, and we just need to to put in the effort to, to find it they need to contribute. Alaskans need to contribute to some degree, but we need to do it fairly across all Alaska families. Um, and um, and if we need to push that to a, a special session, let's do it and, uh, and let's get it underway. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, thank you, Brad, for sticking over. We appreciate it. Folks, we got Michael, more. As always, thanks for having me. Uh, folks, we got uh, Chris Story coming up next. The three L's to a good life is going to be his topic. We're going to be jumping into that here in just a minute. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Brad Keithley wrapping things up here uh, with Brad. Um, 
And uh, yeah, the LLC change, that was something that, and, and that was a question that I had because I have not watched this closely enough to know the answer to this. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm scrolling back trying to find the comment here real quick. Uh, Bradley says, so if we get rid of the Hillcorp loophole, would that mean that every LLC in the state would have to pay a corporate tax? And I don't know if it's specific to Hillcorp or not. Brad, are you familiar enough with it to be able to answer that? I'm sorry, Brad, I had you... I had you muted during the outro music there. Go ahead. You you can you can limit the uh, the the change to the, the taxation on the S corp to oil to simply to oil companies. We have special rules for taxes on oil corporations, and it's just including uh, oil corporations that are that are organized as S corps uh, in that in that uh, in that group right so it wouldn't affect all the all the rest of them um i mean i think this is to me that's a common sense approach uh donna says it's called the laffer curve by the way that whole investment <laughs> versus the thing it's art laffer uh the laffer curve so i mean to me that just makes sense you can't be on either extreme you can't tax them so much that they just basically pull out and leave take their toys and go home but at the same time you can't just let them run amok and give them you know carte blanche to do what they do what they do we've got to meet somewhere in the middle on that and uh and like we said the numbers that, that you and i have talked about here in the past has been you know four or five hundred million dollars um in uh you know still available on the table and if we can find that middle ground it'd be a good source of revenue and keep everything rolling and uh and maybe take a little bit of the pressure off we spent we spend way too much time, way too much time worried about what other states are doing. Alaska is unique. We've got an unique, unique uh, environment. We've got a unique uh, set of regulations. We've got a unique set of challenges out there. And and what works in North Dakota, what works in you know West Texas, what works someplace else uh, isn't isn't quite uh, it, it isn't the rule. I mean, what works in Norway because of Norway's unique. Uh, uh, approach to government investment uh, in the oil industry over there in oil field development is unique. Closest we come is really the North Sea. I mean, Alaska has always sort of grown up with the North Sea, always been developed with the North Sea. And looking at the North Sea, the English, the, the UK portion of the North Sea is, it gives you some feel for what others are doing in a similar environment uh, to Alaska. But we spend way too much time worrying about that. What we need to worry about is is figuring out the revenue maximizing point, the laffer curve for the oil industry. We need to figure out the 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 revenue max, uh, maximizing point um, uh, for for the oil industry here, based upon factors here. And as I say, I mean we've got Department of Natural Resources does decline curves all the time. That's how we get the production uh, forecast uh, uh, out there. They go talk to the companies. They get information from the companies. They develop their own view of what the decline curves are going to be. They develop their own view of when uh, of when fields are going to be developed. Uh, they have they get information from the oil companies to to be able to do that, um, and and they develop those 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 production curves. That, right. The production curves have been pretty good lately, so you can so you you know we've got the information to be able to do it. We just don't focus on doing it. We focus on fighting about irrelevant things because that's what people want to fight about. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, ak4sb.com. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter if you want to go argue with him out there. He loves to do that. He loves to argue with you on Facebook and Twitter. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board, my friend. I really appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Appreciate you sticking along. I know that that's uh, you got other things to. I don't know what you got to do being retired and all that, but you know, it's. I'm sure you got other things to do. Wine smoothies for you all morning. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board.
Thanks. Thanks for having me, Michael. All right, folks, uh, we're jumping into it here. Let's uh, get Chris Story on the line and see if we can get him uh, squared away. Get ready to come back to this. Oh, look at that. Phone's ringing. Phone's ringing, and we are ready to go. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Fantastic. Okay. Well, 30 seconds out. We're ready to do it. The three L's to the good life. Uh, and we're, mm. I needed this. I need this. Good. Yeah, that's right. Get it all out. Get it all out now and be, be ready to go. We're going to pump yourself up. All right, here we go. Uh, Chris, Chris Story, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like it, share, like it, follow, do all that stuff. And don't go away. I know we had a lot of people you're going to fl- – you need to hear what Chris has got to say. That's all i got to say. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I don't know what you mean. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's okay. Uh, Chris Story is here to save the day to bring us up with our moment of positivity, the betterment segment of the program, where he uh, helps us uh, live our lives uh, on top of the world a little bit better each and every day. Today, his topic is the three L's to a good life, which I believe are leisure, laudanum, and liquor. But I mean, I mean, no, I just it could be anyone. What? What? I don't know. Three L's to a good life. Mr. Story, tell me, uh, tell me what's going on here. How am I going to get better? Tell me all about it. Laudanum is that from like the 1800s? Yeah, or something? yeah. How I was, old are you? I was just looking for L words. You know, laudanum is a little bit of uh, you know, opium kind of thing. Anyway, opium for the masters. That's what Chris Story is. What's going on? Good morning, Michael. I've been thinking about uh, a failure of mine. So. It's it's twofold. It's a failure, and yet it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. So it's sort of this conundrum, and I thought, who better to share it with than Michael Dukes? Hashtag feels good, feels bad, man. I mean, what? It's <laughs> you know, and what I'm about to share with you, I don't talk about that often. I don't, I don't try to win the um, victim Olympics or you know the failure Olympics, as Seth Godin calls it, but had a really bad experience a number of years ago that was the closest thing to a financial collapse that I've ever been through. I wasn't poor, but I was broke. I wasn't broken, as they say, but it was a rough, rough patch. And out of it came something that I'm really proud of. Overcoming, first of all, that's something to be proud of. You can look back on the other side. You can look from the peak and go, oh, I remember when I was in the valley on a, on a number of levels, uh, emotional you know, financial, all of it. Um, But out of that time in the valley, riding through what appeared to be endless darkness, a story came to me. And I put that story to paper for myself. I wrote it down for me. And it came to me in a whole form. It was like I was describing something. And and that's the only time that writing has ever come to me like that. And it's a story I ended up calling Born to Live. Everybody told me it was a terrible book title. Don't do it. It's awful. And it is. It is a terrible book title. And it almost sells no copies. And I don't care. I love that story. I wrote it for me. <laughs> right. And so it's a failure, but a success based on or coming through a moment in time, which I would describe as having been failing, not a failure, me. 
I don't identify as that. I didn't even identify it as then as being a quote failure, or just going through a very rough time. And I could see that it was a shadow. I could see that it was a it was a very dark valley type of place. And out of it again came this story. And so uh, again, I wrote the book called Born to Live because again it was a very very short little story came to me. I put it out into the world because I thought if it could help just one person, then I owe it to myself and I owe it to that person to share this with the world. And and it, the essence of the book is is a philosophy. And that philosophy is, well, the story is about a guy, first off, that, that's really down on his luck. Hmm, that sounded familiar. And he finds purpose. And in the story, on the literal road to hope. He finds purpose. So, but it became a great metaphor, and out of it came a philosophy, which I call the three L's to the good life. And I've spoken about this to to groups of people, and I I talk about it um, kind of constantly in other ways, but not as direct as I'm telling you. But those three L's that came out of that book, which was born of this horrible time, are number one. The first L is to look forward. And we'll go through them all independently, unless you just kick me off the air. Look forward, <laughs> learn. From the past and then live in the present living in the present is that is, is the crux of it all but essentially these three l's encompass a philosophy that i kind of was living by but i really once codified in writing once i put it down on paper in front of me and i saw it i said oh this is it this is where it's at so looking forward is all about goal setting stuff you and i talk about all the time no, I mean, I, I think that's because, you know, we know people who have been stuck in the past, right? I mean, it's the it's the guy from high school that was, uh, you know, the high school, uh, he was the captain of the football team and, and, you know, everything's great. But you see him today and he's, you know, working a blue collar job. And every time he gets together with his buddies, all he can talk about is the good old days of high school and things like that. I mean, I'm not chastising him. I'm just saying he's kind of trapped in the past. He's not looking forward. So instead of learning from the past and looking to the future, he's just kind of stuck there, and we've seen that. And then we've seen the other side of that, which is just daydreamers, right? They're always looking yeah. to the future. They're never living in the moment. They're never learning from their mistakes. They're not moving forward because they're so fixated on this future thing that they're not doing the work today to get to the future. So there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's people on both sides of this equation. So it takes a balance of that looking forward, just thinking about that. Okay, I'm going to set some goals but if you can't be happy with who you are today, then likely you're not going to be happy with who you become into the future if you actually attain and achieve that goal. So it's just, as you said, stuck in the past, be it of old glory days or even, uh, rebel, you know, kind of reveling in trauma can be something that is, you know, you just become almost addicted to it and it becomes your identity. I'm reading a great new book. I highly recommend it. It's called Magic Words by Jonah Berger. In fact, I just reached out to him yesterday and uh, invited him to be a, a guest on my show because I, I just love his work. Um, but, but he talks about identity, that we can attach identity to a word just by simply adding E-R. It's like, do not lie. No. Do not be a liar is far more powerful. So just little little kind of twists of semantics, it almost seems. But truly, when you become or adopt an identity of somebody, like say, for example, you're looking forward to becoming a, an investor. Well, adopt the identity of an investor today. And you may not have achieved the first investment yet, but you're looking forward to it. And you're living in the present as though you're already there. 
by your identity, by your actions, by your behaviors. Because what would an investor do? Would an investor go lease that that brand new uh, vehicle um, with zero payback and zero return? Or would an investor make this choice relative to a vehicle? Or would an investor choose to save this but in, spend and invest over there? So there's just ways to kind of game the system, if you will, still setting goals and looking forward, but don't live there. And that's one of the characters that came to me in this dark time was a character that really literally spoke to me and said, you're living in a distant future. You need to deal with the present. Yes, set the goal, plan to climb to the peak, but don't live there yet. You've got to live right here in the present and you better enjoy it. It's like the person who really wants to lose a lot of weight, uh, but, but hates themselves now. Well, they just probably will A, never achieve the goal or B, even when you do, still not be happy with yourself, never happy. And then boom, boomerang right back to where you were. Right. And again, to your point about living in the past where, oh, those were the days, my God, that's when life was good in America. <laughs> oh man, right. when I, when I used to, or I can't, you know, I just, I failed so hard. I just can't escape my own shadow sure. of that late afternoon where I fell down. Right. Yeah, it's not just the football hero who's like remembering the good old days. It's people who are living in past trauma and can't get beyond that as well. You know, I'm a victim. Like you and me who were on the bench. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just, I'm never going to be nothing because I never got called up from the third string kind of thing, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely uh, – and I've, I've, I mean, I have bounced back and forth occasionally – between both those things, getting locked into a, a long-term daydream of this is what my goal is, never really putting pen to paper to say, okay, if that's my goal, how do I get there? It's just like it's easier to live in the dream than it is to actually work for the dream. And I've been times when I was like, oh, if only I would have invested in Apple or something, you know, back in the day, if only I had thrown some money at that Bitcoin, if only I had, you know, living back in the, in the regrets and everything else. And all you got to do again is learn from those things and then keep your eye on the future while enjoying. And that's what you were talking about it too. You know, these people who are like so consumed by the destination, they never enjoy the parts of the journey that are enjoyable. You mean, you've got to, you've got to, to, to find joy in the doing as well as the achieving. And careful not to borrow because people will lend you their story. People will lend you their failures. People will lend you their fears. And you have to be careful not to borrow that. We see this a lot in real estate. Oh, my uncle, my uncle had a triplex one time. Oh man, awful experience. In fact, he lost it in foreclosure uh, or, or the tenants were awful and started, um, they were dealing horse, you know, Michael, that's a, a euphemism for heroin just yeah, so you know yeah um oh i smack, know you know oh you i know today. i know but but you could borrow that experience from your uncle who means well when he's sharing it with you means well to provide guidance and and look what i went through don't walk through the same trials and tribulations and fire that i've been through kid just avoid it and suddenly you're borrowing that identity or that story or his past or her past and not recognizing that you can learn from their experience without having to either adopt their fears and and their exact experience and just learn from it and and move forward into your own walk of life because yeah you're going to make your i mean we all learn best by making our own mistakes of course but it's nice to avoid some by learning Mm. from history or 
to well, be doomed to repeat it. I always remember that old phrase that, you know, experience is the best teacher, but they never finish it because the end of that is, especially when it's somebody else's experience. I, you know, if I yeah. see the guy put his hand on the hot stove, I know not to put my hand on the hot stove. Right. I mean, that's just yeah. him. And I don't need to go, well, I've got to learn for myself. Oh, God, that is hot. You know, I mean, I right. don't I don't. Need long, to... But the admonition is the admonition is careful not to assume that identity. Yeah. Take the information from their experience, but don't assume their identity is so I'll never invest. Oh, I'll never run. Well, I'm my never... uncle's cousin's brother had a heart attack when he ran. I'm right. not doing that. I, I would never assume their identity because how stupid would you have to be to put your hand on a hot stove? OK, I mean, come on, seriously. But yeah, it, it's it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect example of, of what you're talking about. All right. So break it down for me like I'm five. If I want to take these three L's and put them in my life, maybe I'm stuck on the daydreamer phase. Maybe I'm stuck on the high school footballer phase of of the of the yesteryear parade. What, how do I how do I do that? How do I focus? How do I bring those things together? Give it to me. I told you once before. Well, many times, you know, I've talked about journaling, but I also told you once before. I I have custom journals printed just for me, and and once in a while I'll give them away, but I they're just for me. They're blank pages, no lines, so I can draw. I can write big, small, there's nothing constraining me. And it's my logo, it's my design on the cover, it's my journey, it's my story. I write in it every day. One of the things I write about is where I'm going. One of the things I'll remind myself is that I'm headed towards, with my radio syndication, 150 radio stations. However, Michael, and you know this, I put everything I've got into each show I'm doing, no matter who signs up. So I'm looking forward but I'm living right here in the present because I owe it to each and every individual listener today. Not just wait till Des Moines signs up. What? Why? No, I'm pouring into it right now here today, even though I'm looking forward. And I write about that. Uh, learning from the past. I don't spend as much time there, but I'll find myself saying something or into a thought loop. And I'll go, wait a minute. I've been here before. Okay. And I'll reflect on that. I don't spend a lot of time there, but I'll reflect on it. The other way I learned from the past is I love biographies. I love to read Charles Ponzi, the uh, the the namesake of all schemes going forward, uh, you know pyramid schemes like that. Charles Ponzi had an amazing life and an intriguing, desperate, awful, horrible life with moments of glimmer and hope in it. I love reading. It. I love reading his past. Reading about uh, Walt Disney choking out an owl. I can't stop talking about I can't that. Stop it. But I love reading biography. That's a great way to learn from the past, including your own, and talking to family members, yeah. talking to people that have been down the road that you want to go, uh, and again, learning from it, but not adopting their identity, and then reminding myself to live in the present. And I, I literally will write that. I also have a coin minted that reminds me of all three of these philosophies, and I keep that coin in my pocket every single day. And I'll give them away once in a while, but for the most part, I made that for me, and I just remind myself every day of these three things that are so important. So goal setting, remembering what you've learned, and, and remembering that the good life is to be present. Don't live for the moment, but live in the moment. Because if you live for the moment, you're not going to be able to achieve what you want to into the future. But if you live in the moment, in this present time, like right here, right now, all that matters to me, and I'm here with you because this is the present. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer. I love homeralaska.com is his website. He's the author of several books, including The Backyard Millionaire, Making of Man, and of course, Born to Live, which you said doesn't sell hardly any copies. Nope. Where can folks find Born to Live if they want to read this story? Uh, I love homeralaska.com, Amazon, wherever books are sold. It's published wide. 
um, and it's ebook and, and paperback. Okay. And one day an audio book when I get off my rusty dusty and actually finish it, I got it halfway done. I just never fit. It's, you know how it is. Uh, Chris story. Uh, I appreciate that. The man from Homer again, I love Homer, Alaska.com. Go pick up his book, the born to live. If you want to learn more about the three L's in life. Uh, thank you, Mr. Story. We appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you uh, coming on board today and sticking around with us. Thank you, Michael. Folks, we're out of time for this segment. We got one more coming up. Got no idea what I'm going to talk about. Maybe we'll do phone lines. Maybe somebody in the chat room will say something, or maybe I'll just keep riffing on what Chris uh, just laid at our feet, which is good stuff. Good stuff. We'll be back with more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Chris Story, uh, our guest still here on the program. He's stuck with us because that's the kind of guy he is. He sticks with you no matter where you – it's like gum on the shoe. You can't get rid of it. Um, Mr. Story, uh, anything else that they will learn for Born to Live? I would love to see a couple copies come off your shelf and, folks, come on and give us a good book review of Born to Live. I think that would be a fun thing to do. Um, What – anything else we're going to live about – we're going to learn about that from Born to Live? Well, there's three, there's actually a number of characters I've had, you know, of the people that have read it, it's been probably the most impactful communications back to me. I mean, other than, you know, people got, got a thrill out of the making of man, it's, a, it's kind of a thrilling little read and backyard millionaires. Definitely. I've had people say to me, um, I, I'm changing my investment strategies. I'm moving forward. I've always wanted to do this. And I've got a lot of great feedback and tremendous, uh, sales. It's, the ones though from born to live who um say i cried all the way through um i I couldn't put it down you can read it in 45 minutes 30 30 to 45 minutes and um one particular guy and he's a listener of yours read it just before he went into an open heart surgery and said it was an incredible i forget his words exactly but a a hope and inspiration as he went into that pretty desperate time uh, and where somebody is incredibly alone but these three characters that come to well, there's, there's probably a half a dozen characters, and, and I love each and every one of them. And they're just, I don't know, they're just, it, it's its a really great little story. But I think I like to send it to people that I think are, are in a moment in time where they really could use it. And they really need a message of, of hope and finding purpose and recognizing what is the good life. And when's the last time you thought about what it would be to live a good life? Born to Live. Uh, you can find it at ilovehomeralaska.com. Any commentary on the madness in the legislature before I let you go, now that you've pumped us up? Anything else you want to share with us or any other thoughts? I, I, don't, know, I don't want to direct uh, only, your thing too much. Go ahead. Only only that I appreciate you, uh, you know, having Brad on to dissect what's happening in the legislature. I may not agree with his solutions. I don't care for his tax ideas relative to the, the residents, but um, I do appreciate that you expose what is happening. It's a little bit like standing in that x-ray machine where you put your hands above your head and put your feet apart, <laughs> you know, and you guys are going through what's happening. The other thing is I stay in touch with my representative 
uh, not my senator because his name is Gary Stevens and he lives on an island far from the people he main people he represents. <laughs> um, but I stay in touch with my representative constantly throughout the session. I encourage everybody to. Don't, yeah. They're our neighbors. They're yeah. our friends. Talk to them. Well, like, like real people, not just editorials. Yeah, no, don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep in contact and keep telling them what you think. That's the important part yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Mr. Story, thank you for coming on board. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you, my friend. We will see you next week. All right. Keep it up, Michael. Take care. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on board. We uh, re- really appreciate it. Chris Story, the man from Homer here on the program. We appreciate him uh, being part of it and uh, and coming on board and, and joining us as usual. All right, uh, final segment for today uh, here on the program. I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? What do we got? Three minutes here? What do you guys want to talk about? Um, should we keep harping on the legislature? Should we talk more about uh, the three L's? Uh, should we talk about, uh, I, I don't know, movies? Football? I don't know anything about football. Uh, do you, I mean, whatever. You you guide me. Why not? Go ahead. Throw it up in the chat room. Tell me what you want to talk about. I'll I'll riff on anything for 10 minutes, 9 minutes, whatever it is for the next segment. I'd be happy to uh, to talk about those things. Feel free to to jump on board and and be be part of it with us. Um one thing I do, you know what? I, I'm going to reach for the stars here in the near future. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get a hold of uh, Jordan Peterson uh, because he had an interview with John Stossel recently, and it was intense. It was interesting. It was, you know, such a brain exploding moment for me. Uh, in watching the, the part of the interview, and I only I only got a little chunk of it. I got to go back and watch the whole thing. I got a little snippet of it, and I got to go find it now. But uh, I'm working on maybe getting Jordan Peterson on the program, if possible. I mean, this guy is, you know, that's like asking, I don't know, Beyonce to be on the program or Trump or somebody that's so far out of my little, uh, uh, little uh, radio show league that I just don't know. But I'm going to try to see if we can get him on for a few minutes to talk about things because, you know, he is, I've been following Peterson for quite a while and he has got, um, you know, some very, he's got some that some ideas that people would consider radical and he's got, you know, but again, it just, it resonates with me a lot of the things that he talks about. And this thing with Stossel, this one little piece uh, that I got with Stossel was so amazing um, that I would like to do a whole show about it. I would like to, or Coleon Noir, right? Yeah, trying to get Coleon Noir on the program is, or BJ Campbell from Hand Waving Freak Outery. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, uh, I'm not ready to quite talk about it yet, but maybe it's something I can do in a in a future show. We'll we'll jump into that. Uh, I'm out of time. <clears throat> Got to, I don't. We're gonna make it up as we go along. That's how we do it around here. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. And welcome back to the program. Uh, uh, I did. Uh, I did, Brian. 
Uh, just answering questions in the chat room here in the uh, in the commercial break. We finished up with Chris' story, and um, I, I appreciate him coming in. You know, again, it's interesting to see from a perspective, you know, as a radio host, to be able to have some kind of metric to see how people are listening to certain things. And I, I've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll, since it struck me this morning, when we when we were finishing up with Brad, we had about 70 people watching on the simulcast, right? And as we transitioned from Brad over to Chris' story, which really happened in about 30 seconds, because Brad got off, I brought Chris on, we came right back. It was, you know, not much time. And it was interesting to watch those numbers tick backwards and to the point to where we had about we came from about 70 down to about 30 38 39 people watching the simulcast when chris was on and i find that a fascinating commentary on people in general uh my listeners specifically but people in general overall uh, Brad was talking about things that people uh, uh, get upset about. They, a lot of people in the chat room disagree with it. Even Chris said in the commercial break there, I asked him for his final thoughts on the legislature. And he's like, he appreciates Brad coming on, even though he disagrees with Brad on a bunch of things, including the whole taxation thing. Right. Um, and so he, you know, it's it's Brad's commentary is it's not divisive, but it, it does raise some flags and it gets people's ire up and things like that. And it's interesting to watch how things like that, things that are in some ways combative. Um, I mean, like Mike Shower, we get Mike Shower on, you know, and we could have 80, 90, 100 people watching the simulcast. We get Chris Story on, which is not as combative, not as I guess you would consider to be classically negative um, and something that's more of the positive spin. And, you know, half the audience goes away. And I and I don't know if this is indicative of what's happening on terrestrial radio. I mean, there's thousands of people who are listening right now on terrestrial radio. Uh, so I don't know if when Chris comes on, they just tune out, tune out or switch the station or whatever. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I bring Chris on for me. He's on this for me as much as for any of more than for any of you. Because I know that, you know, in the world that I live in, and I live in the world of politics and commentary and things like that, it could be tough. You know, it could be depressing. It can be frustrating. I mean, for those of you who are listening and and just listen for the show and then go about your merry way for the rest of the day and don't really think about those things, I'm thinking about this all day, every day. I'm always thinking about who's the next guest, what's the next topic, what should we, you know, what tactic should we talk about or what part of it. And so I'm living in this in so many ways. It's one of the reasons why, quite honestly, I pulled back from the national stuff is because I was growing Oh, I was so angry. I was an angry man. I mean, you asked my wife, you know, 15 years ago um, when, uh, you know, uh, 15, 12, 15 years ago where I was still focusing on a lot of national stuff. And I was <clears throat> I was frustrated and angry. And that's when I basically decided to stop watching the, the news channels. Um, I would go out and seek out the news when I wanted to instead of having it force fed to me. And I started really shearing away, shying away from most of the national stuff because I came to the realization that we can't really affect that stuff. 
The state stuff, I can. But even with the state stuff, it's an exercise in frustration, right? Uh, some would say an exercise in futility to try and fight these things, um, which is why I've commonly been saying don't grow weary in well-doing. Just because it's frustrating and things, you can't stop doing it just because it's it's hard. It's hard. But that's why I bring Chris on, to try and bring back some of that balance to my life and some center. And But it's interesting to me to watch, you know, different – I don't think if there was a good news, if there was a good news talk show where all they did all day long was talk about the good news, right? I don't think it would have much of a listenership. I I mean, as much as I would enjoy listening to it, I don't think that overall it would have much, much of a listenership because we are drawn as human beings to to conflict. Right. I mean, isn't that at the heart of any good story? At the heart of any good story is conflict. I mean, that's what this is a bad example, but that's why like reality TV, that's why reality TV would be some of the most boring stuff in the world if they didn't make it more, quote unquote, real by injecting some kind of conflict into the story. And, you know. And, and of course, the old it, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing and everything else. We are in some ways, we are just slaves to our human nature in that regard to where we may want to hear some good stuff sometimes. But mostly we I don't know if we want to be mad, but boy, we we sure are good at it. We sure are good at it. So anyway, I guess uh, that is, you know. That's just that's just one of those things that I was thinking about that if, you know, I would love to have and Chris is working on his own show right now. Uh, he's he has his own radio show already down on the peninsula, but he's working on syndicating a weekly radio show uh, called The Backyard Millionaire that deals with a lot of these things with positivity and with real estate and things like that. And uh, and I hope he does very, very well with it because that we need more of that kind of positivity. Um, in, in our lives, we need more of a positive, maybe we couldn't take a five days a week, two hours or three hours a day of it. But I mean, one hour a week, two hours a week. Sure. I think we could, I think we could deal with that. I think we need to see, I think we need to consciously seek more of that out. I've been trying lately in some of the, in some of the things to bring in different guests and talk about different things, whether it was yesterday with uh, Emma Camp or, uh, Mark Cameron, the Alaskan author who writes for the Tom Clancy estate or, uh, you know, that the uh, the Alaskan blonde author, you know, and, and just all these different. I'm trying to bring in some more things that are not necessarily uh, negative or combative, I guess, in the ways that, the, you know, it's it, because I think we need that. We need to find more of that balance. I'm trying to find a balance on the show uh, of those kind of things as well. I still want to keep you informed. I want to keep you, you know, enlightened, but I also want to, you know, I also want to keep you entertained. I want to keep you educated and entertained and to help you get your mind right, which is, again, why I bring Chris on. And, and quite honestly, I get a little disappointed when I see uh, everybody drop off when Chris comes on and starts talking about the three L's to life or getting your brain right or setting your goals or doing whatever it is. Because I think sometimes I think I wonder if those are the people that need to hear what Chris is saying today, uh, you know, that, that they're missing that opportunity because it's just 
I don't know, it's not their thing or they got, I just, I just, I, I wonder about that. I would love to see, I'd love to see more people be happier and be, you know, uh, satisfied and be happy on the journey of where they're going and to learn about these kind of things and goal settings and everything. But, um, <clears throat> anyway, it, it has been good. And several people in the chat room now have said, um, um, that, uh, that they too have stopped watching the news for many reasons. Um, uh, it, you know, mental health improvement and everything. And I'll be honest with you. Yes. If I want to go out and find that stuff, I can, I can go out to CNN or Fox news or MSNBC or uh, Newsmax or wherever. And I can watch just as many videos or, or read as many articles as I want, but it's not just being like forced into me all the time. I, that was so frustrating. I'm so glad that was one of the first things that I did. And I felt so much better within just a couple of weeks of not being constantly slammed with that stuff. Um, you know, and Jim might have it as well. Jim says, I like my good news and measured doses. Otherwise I get lazy. Maybe that's it. Maybe we just can't accept too much good news. Uh, maybe because it doesn't match up with our life. Maybe we're looking for conflict and other things because we're unhappy with our life and we're looking to make sure we're not the only ones. I don't know. I don't know what the psychology is behind it. But anyway, I love bringing Chris on, uh, and I hope more of you will check it out. Check out his book, Born to Live, at ilovehomeralaska.com. I suppose I need to finish the audiobook now. I feel bad about that. I got waylaid on another project, and it dropped by the wayside. So anyway... Okay, well, we're out of time for today, my friends. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm hoping we're going to have Mike Shower on, maybe somebody else. I'm working on some other stuff. Be kind, love one another, live well. I don't know where any of that came from, but I just, I've been thinking about that. I've just kind of stream of consciousness there because I, it is, a, it disappoints me to watch it drop off. When Chris, I mean, I'm looking at the little number on the top of the screen and I could see how many people are watching and then I just watch it go tick, 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 tick. And I'm like, man, I, I, I wish more people were listening to get the good stuff. The good stuff, right? I mean, you could lead a horse to water, but I guess you can't make them drink. That's the, that's the whole thing. Yeah, people who have you know, CNN or Fox or Newsmax or just that's all they have on 24 hours a day. I, they are some, I've met some of these people, some of the unhappiest people I've ever met. Doesn't matter what their political persuasion is, they are unhappy. And it's, uh, to me, it's a thing. I can see it. Definitely. All right, my friends. Um, we appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on board. We appreciate you being here every day. I'm trying to do something to bring you in and bring you something new every day. That's all I can do. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We will see you tomorrow.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 